Transcribed. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And here comes our summer show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents a new musical version of Rip Van Winkle by Lawrence and Lee, starring Gordon McRae and his lovely guest, Dorothy Warren Show. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight, another musical premiere is brought to you by the American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. Now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Thank you, Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Say, did you ever wish you could lie down and take a nap for about 20 years? Well, tonight we're going to bring you the story of a snooze like that, inspired by the great early American writer, Washington Irving. We'll have to turn the clock back a couple of centuries, though, to the days of the 13 colonies. And we'll ask you also to think of Dorothy Warrenshold as a lass with a sharp chin and a sharper tongue. As for me, well, my name is Van Winkle, my nickname is Rip. To all the young ladies, my hat I do tip. To gladden their hearts, I would lay down my life. Were it not for the fact it would rankle my wife. I live near the village of New Amsterdam. As full up with people as a pig's full of ham. They're thinking of changing the name to New York. As full up with people as a pig's full of pork. No finer a farmer than Rip can be found for seeding and weeding and plowing the ground for feeding the heifer and shearing the pig. There's only one trouble I'd much rather sleep. I guess the back meadow can wait till tomorrow for a moment. Rip! Rip Van Winkle! If I were asleep, I'd swear I was having a nightmare. Rip Van Winkle, where are you? Uh, since I'm not asleep, it must be the voice of my loving wife. Rip! That's Dame Van Winkle, all right. Coming, coming, my love, coming. Now, how is a man's wife to keep her self-respect along with a son and a daughter when her husband spends the live-long day idling away his time and paying no attention whatsoever to his farmer's family or the affairs of his house? Well, you see, Nicholas Vedder... Has... Nicholas Vedder, is it? A lazy, useless, loathsome ne'er-do-well, almost as bad as my own husband. Why I ever married you, Rip Van Winkle, I'll never know. I know, my love. Sometimes I ask myself the same question. <laughs> dog, that everlasting dog of yours. Well, now, what harm is he doing? I've told you a thousand times not to let that untidy creature track the mud of the streets onto my rugs. Shoo! Shoo, dog! Come with me, Wolf. Never do an honest day's work in your life. Never earn so much as a picture of King George stamped on a copper paper. <laughs> 
what's a man to do? Oh, poor wolf. Our mistress leads us a dog's life of it, all right. Ah, but there's one escape for us. The Catskills. The Catskill Mountains. <laughs> yes, sir, as long as a man can climb the purple hills and hunt for a squirrel, there's no complaining. Come on, Wolfie boy, I'll get my gun and we'll show the world it's not such a bad life after all. sport like squirrel hunting in the wooded hills in autumn. When a man grows tired late in the afternoon, why, he can throw himself down on the green knoll. And from an opening between the trees, he can look down on the lordly Hudson River far below. Well, Wolfie, the day's almost gone. <laughs> By the time we get back to the village, the supper will be cold on the table, and my wife's good tongue will be hot in her mouth. <laughs> What's the matter, Wolf? Do you see something down there in the glen? Oh, steady, steady there. But there's nothing to bristle in your back. Oh, steady. Where is there? What's moving down there? Hello? Ripping Quinkle. What? Well, who's that? Ripping Quinkle. Who knows my name? I saw him. A short, square-billed old fellow. With thick, bushy hair and a grizzled beard. He was dressed like the old Dutchman of yore, and slung on his shoulders was a stout keg of Holland brew. Rip and winkle, how do you do? Have a little, have a little Catskill brew. Well, now, sir, I didn't trust that little old man, and neither did Wolf. And then he made a sign for me to come and help him carry the keg. Well, he was such a little man, and it was... Such a big keg, how could I refuse? I followed him up a narrow gully. From the sound of thunder, I expected at any moment to feel a large raindrop hit the end of my nose. I looked up. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And ahead of me in a clearing was a sight to behold. 
There, in a wooden hollow, was a company of odd-looking little men, all dressed up in the same ridiculous fashion as my guide. They were playing at nine pins. They looked for all the world like the figures in an old Flemish painting. They seemed to be enjoying themselves, and, and yet they maintained the most mysterious silence. What's the matter, Wolf? What do you see? Tell me, lad. Why does your tail hang between your legs and... I got the shock of my life. But there, not a dozen paces in front of me, her head bent low over needlework, was Dame Van Winkle. Well, now, how did she get there? Did these strange little men kidnap her or steal her away? And if they did, whatever for? What they could want with Dame Van Winkle was far beyond me. They must be strange little men indeed. Well, I'm not a fellow to question my good fortune. So just as I was about to tiptoe off, the most remarkable thing of all happened. She looked up, and she smiled. Yes, sir, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I'd not have believed it. I'd have just thought the corners of her mouth would crack. But no, there was Dame Van Winkle smiling as sweetly as the Cupid on our Heaven Bless Our Home sampler. Good evening, Rip. Good evening, Lance. Is it truly you, my love? Oh, a man should know his own wife, I should think. Oh, he should, he should. But there's been such a change about you, my love. <laughs> Somehow, I, I never thought of you as a lass with such a delicate air. And I never heard such compliments from your tongue, Rip Van Winkle. <laughs> Young Molly, who lived at the foot of the she have, the wife of Rip Van Wiggle, to make so sweet a sound? I should have heard a noise like this. Now, how is a man's wife to keep her self-respect when her husband spends the live-long day icing away his time and paying you no attention? No. Nothing but honey came from her mouth. I scratched my head in disbelief. My wife turned into an angel on earth. Well, when you come right down to it, there's naught to complain about. Man may as well take his fortune as it comes, lift his voice in a song, and, well, see what happens. Evening last May, as I traversed the road in thoughtless retirement, not dreaming of love, I chanced to espy the gay nymph I declare, and really she. A most delicate air, a most delicate air. 
just a moment, we'll return for Act Two of Rip Van Winkle. How did today's high prices get that way? A good way to go about finding the answer is to start with a process of elimination. If we can rule out factors that have little to do with high prices, we can better focus on factors that directly bear on them. For that reason, I believe you'll be interested in an editorial which appeared recently in Commercial West, a leading Midwestern business publication. Here's what the editorial said, and I quote, Some people seem to think quite honestly that railroad freight rates represent a substantial part of the cost of most things we buy, and that freight rates have been a factor in forcing prices to rise. Those who do think that are wrong on both counts. First of all, freight rates had nothing at all to do with starting the rise in prices. Prices went up first long before the freight rate. When the last World War ended in 1945, railroad freight charges were no higher than when war began in Europe six years earlier. The first post-war increase in freight rates were not made until mid-1946, and by that time prices generally had risen 50%. Second, railroad freight charges are always a very small fraction of the cost of most articles we buy, and today they represent a smaller fraction than they ever did before. Actually, since the last war began, railroad revenues, figured on the standard ton-mile basis, have increased only one-third as much as railroad wages, as the cost of the many materials and supplies the industry must buy, and as consumer prices generally. To put the situation still another way, railroad freight charges today, in proportion to the price level, are actually lower than they ever were before in the line's long history. So don't blame the cost of carrying freight for boosting prices. It just isn't so. The fact is that the railroads have been doing a superb job with extremely inadequate earnings. End of quotation. So you see, increased freight rates have mighty little to do with the rise in prices of the things you buy. Two of the new Lawrence and Lee musical version of Rip Van Winkle, starring Gordon McRae as Rip and Dorothy Warrenshold as Dame Van Winkle. Well, sir, there I was, as happy as old Peter Stuyvesant with a new wooden leg. Congenial company, my wife's disposition turned inside out or outside in, as the case may be. Would you like to join us in a square dance, mein Herr Van Winkle? Thank you kindly, sir, but Dame Van Winkle considers dancing a frivolous pastime. Why, nonsense, Rip. I'll be your partner. What? I can't believe it. Dad's good, east is east. I mean, east is west and up is down. And I like it fine this way. I like it fine. Flies in a buttermilk, flies in a buttermilk, flies in a buttermilk, skip to the room, my darling. Oh, the partner, what'll I do? What'll I do? What'll I do? I'll find another one prettier than you and skip to the room, my darling. Skip, skip, skip to the room, skip, skip, skip to the room, skip, skip, skip to the room, skip to the room, my darling. Wanna swing? Wanna swing? Sounds all? Skip to the room, skip to the room, my darling. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. All promenade. Skip to the room, my darling. 
So since the day Derek Von Bummel's daughter married the Burgermeister. Well, we danced like that at our wedding, too, Rip. Remember? I sure do. And you were the prettiest girl in New Amsterdam. By heaven, you still are. My lad, that it is. Then I warrant it's time to tap the keg. The keg, you say? Aye. I'll pound this spigot in this barrel. Drinks, my hotties! Oh! <laughs> rip and winkle, rip and wink. Have a little, have a little catch drink. Well, I... I might just taste a drop if you can spare it. <laughs> Not a bad brew. Tell you the truth, sir, the dancing did make me mighty thirsty. 
I must have slept here all night. Oh, that brew, that wicked brew. What excuse should I make to Dame Van Winkle? My musket, where's my musket? Why, this isn't my gun. Those little old bandits, they stole my musket. Put this rusty flintlock in its place. Wolf? Wolf? Now, where'd that dog run off to? Oh! What's the matter with my poor joints? These mountain beds don't seem to agree with me. I, this doesn't look like my village, but it must be. Different houses, different names on the doors. Me? A beard on me? Uh, what? Why don't you let it grow all the way to your knees, Grandpa? <laughs> now, this is all very strange. I don't know any of your faces. I, I can't even recognize your dogs. Have I no friends here? Tell us who you are, old-timer. We'll tell you if you have friends or not. Alas, gentlemen, I'm a poor, quiet man and a loyal subject to the king. God bless him. The king? He's a Tory! Oh, a Tory! Right. Run him out of town! A Tory! Please, I meant no harm. I meant no harm. I'm Rip Van Winkle. At least that's who I was when I dozed off in the mountains. Dozed off? <laughs> he must have slept right through the Revolutionary War. Get out the way, Rip Van Winkle. Get out the way, Rip Van Winkle. Mr. Hold on, Revolution. Slept right through the Revolution. Now, wait a minute. I wait. Rip Van Winkle came to town. Long white beard a-hanging down. Pumped his hair with a wagon wheel. Tied with a toothache in his heel. I'm not dead. I don't know what you're talking about. Get out the way, Rip Van Winkle. Get out the way, Rip Van Winkle. War is over. Tories weeping. Rip Van Winkle just lay there sleeping. My little son, 
He's called Rip in memory of his grandfather. Your name is Judith. Well, how did you know? I'm Judith Gardiner. Tell me, lass, what do you know of your father? Well, it's been 20 years since he went away from home. 20 years? Yes. And he's never been heard from since. And, and your mother? Is your mother still alive? Oh, no. She burst her heart with grief when your father went away, I suppose. Is that it? Oh, not at all. No, she burst a blood vessel in a fit of rage at a New England peddler. <laughs> yes. That would be Dame Van Winkle right enough. Lass, I'm your father. My father? Mm-hmm. Young Rip Van Winkle once, old Rip Van Winkle now. Oh, but where have you been these, these 20 years? Dreaming, my child, dreaming. Oh, it's not been unpleasant, really. I dreamed that I was in the company of a lass who was the image of my wife, but whose tongue was as sweet as the honey in the comb. I thought it was only in my mind. But you see now, the dreams come true. Oh, welcome home, Father. My day shall be. was based on the famous Washington Irving story uh, by uh, Washington Irving, as I said, and was made into a musical by Lawrence and Lee. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroads. Truth, communism's deadliest enemy, can do much to help win the Cold War and to help prevent a worldwide hot war. Each day, hour after hour, Radio Free Europe beams the truth to millions of captive people behind the Iron Curtain, helping to sow seed of hope and revolt against the Red Rulers and their collaborators. But your help is needed to build additional transmitters in Europe and in Asia to send the truth to more millions behind the Iron Curtain. Support the independent, citizen-sponsored crusade for freedom and help truth fight communism. For full information, write to the Crusade for Freedom, Empire State Building, New York. One, New York. All aboard! Well, sir, it looks as though ready to pull out, and so until next Monday night and the world premiere of a new musical, The Emperor of San Francisco... This is 
Gordon McRae saying goodnight for myself and Dorothy Warnshaw. Goodbye. <laughs> Gordon McRae can be seen in Warner Brothers on Moonlight Bay. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the American Railroads. And now stay tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC. The preceding was transcribed. Next, Vidu Sayao sings on the telephone hour on NBC. Transcribed. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And here comes our summer show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents a new musical play by Lawrence and Lee, the Emperor of San Francisco, starring Gordon McRae and his guest, beautiful Dorothy Warren Show. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight, another musical premiere is brought to you by the American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Thank you, Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Say, did you know that the United States once had an emperor? Yes, sir. His capital city wasn't Washington, or New York, or Philadelphia. It was... And tonight, I'm going to be that emperor of San Francisco. His name was Joshua Norton, an adventurer who came west with the gold rush and probably sang this song with the mountain-sick miners in the days of 49. I've traveled the mountains all over, and now to the valleys I'll go, and live like a pig in the clover in sight of huge mountains of snow. In sight of huge mountains of snow, in sight of huge mountains of snow. I live like a pig in the clover in sight of huge mountains of snow. I'm greatly in favor of mining with me, though it does not agree. I'd rather be gently reclining with beauty upon a settee. With beauty upon a settee, with beauty upon a settee. I'd rather be gently reclining with beauty upon a settee. I'm not much in favor of thieving, at least not the way that I feel. But I'll never work for a living so long as I'm able to steal. So long as I'm able to steal, boy, so long as I'm able to steal. But I'll never work for a living so long as I'm able to 
Lucille. Say, did you hear what happened to Josh Norton? Lost all his money. And you know what else I heard? They say it affected his mind. <clears throat> I uh, wish to dispatch a telegram. Well, you come to the right place. This ain't a butcher shop. Where's it going? To the President of the United States of Washington, D.C. Oh, well, he'll be glad to hear from you. What's the message? Well, I'm Emperor Norton by royal decree. I hereby abolish the presidency. Well, that's interesting. As Emperor Norton, I govern the land. Both houses of Congress, I promptly disband. How do you want to sign this telegram, Majesty? Norton the First, Emperor of the United States. Hmm. Well, that'll be 75 cents to break the bad news to the White House. The Emperor of the United States must pay to issue a royal decree? Oh, you got to understand, Majesty. A telegraph company's got to live, too, you know. Oh, yes, yes, you're right. I shall pay you with a bond of empire. Huh? Mm-hmm. The imperial government of the United States promises to pay the bearer at an interest rate of 4% per annum from date in gold or silver coin. Uh, the, uh, what was the amount? Six bits. <laughs> Six bits. Signed, Norton I, Emperor of the United States. Imagine the consternation at court when Madame de Valerie returned the invitation. Ah, <laughs> uh, Countess, how exciting it is for us in San Francisco to, to hear the news from the capitals of Europe. Ah, uh, Vienna, Paris, Rome. These are the old capitals where weariness is king. Ah, but in your beautiful city of hills, I feel the surge of new life, uncurbed by the will of monarchs. Oh, I beg your pardon, Countess. San Francisco has its king. His Majesty Norton I. <laughs> well, but how charming. I should like to meet your Emperor Norton. Uh, where does he hold court? Oh, on the streets, in the free lunch counter. But uh, always attended by his prime minister and privy counselor, uh, his dog. <laughs> Pray, uh, uh, how does one obtain an audience with uh, such a monarch? Uh, Norton will seek the audience with you, Countess, when you sing at the opening of our new opera house. We are very fortunate that such a flower of European nobility honors us with her talents. Oh, it is I who am fortunate. For what opera company in Europe has so young and handsome a director? Oh, you're joking, my dear Countess. Not at all, Mr. Briggs. On the continent, the managers are all bald and bespectacled with, uh, with triple chins and mutton-chop whiskers. They do little to inspire the great love songs of Verdi or Fonfloto. Ah, but when one is singing for a director like Mr. Briggs, well, that is an entirely different matter. Oh, 
Oh, thank you, gentlemen. I only hope that the patrons of your opera house... Uh, how do you do? I beg you to forgive this intrusion. Really? You come quite uninvited, sir? I know, I know. I, I was passing by in the street below, and I heard a voice. Such a voice as sings an angel choir. I humbly ask your pardon, Countess. My servants should have stopped him on the stairs. Who, who is he? I am Norton the First, <gasps> Emperor of the United States, and your eternal servant, madam. Oh, Mr. Briggs, where are your manners? Present to me. Uh, this, your majesty, is the Countess Esterhazy, who has sung for the crowned heads of Europe. The Countess is San Francisco's guest for the opera season. Ah, then you are thrice welcome in our domains, Countess, for your voice, for your service to our brother sovereigns of Europe, but most of all for your gracious self, Countess. Oh, he, he speaks like an emperor. I am an emperor, my lady. And uh, what affairs of state have occupied you today, your majesty? Well... I've asked the Bank of San Francisco to loan me $70 million to build a bridge across the Golden Gate. <laughs> How preposterous. <laughs> Absurd. A bridge across the Golden Gate. In ah, vain. It is possible. All right now, old fellow. We've had enough of your dreaming. Uh, please accept my imperial gratitude for your hospitality. But most of all, I am grateful for this meeting with the incomparable Countess Esterhazy. Oh, your Majesty does me too great honor. I must take my leave. Good night. Good night to you all. Good night, Good night. Good night. The Countess Esterhazy. Oh. Hello, Lazarus. Good dog. Lazarus, I must tell you something. I think I am in love. Listen, Lazarus. She's singing again. But what chance do I have? I am merely an emperor. But she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh, oh. 
return for the second act of The Emperor of San Francisco in just a moment. The American railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. How often have you heard that as these Monday night programs open? But let's pause a moment tonight and talk about what this basic transportation service of railroads means to you. Without it, the United States could not produce as it does, and none of us could live as we do in peacetime. While in time of national emergency, as we have learned from experience, railroads are absolutely essential to the defense of the nation. And what does this essential service cost? Well, it costs so little that even today, with all the inflation in prices, the railroads still haul freight at charges which average less than one and one-half cents for moving a ton of freight one mile. No other form of public transportation serving all sections of the country even approaches so low a level of charges per ton per mile. For hauling a ton of freight one mile, the railroads get now an average of about 45% more than they did back in pre-war days in 1939, an increase which is only about one-third as much as the rise in the level of prices generally, or the increase in wage rates and the prices railroads pay for fuel and supplies. Prices have gone up so much faster and farther than freight rates, in fact, that railroad charges, always a small fraction of the cost of most things you buy, represent today a still smaller proportion. This is true even after recent freight rate increases. In fact, these increases, even when applied to combined hauls, averaging many hundreds of miles on such basic commodities as livestock and meat, or wheat and flour, or on almost any finished commodity and the materials which enter into it, amount in most cases to no more than a small fraction of a cent per pound, or whatever the ordinary unit of sale may be. And applying these increases on all raw materials and parts, on food and fuel, on everything that is moved and at every step of the way, the increase amounts on the average to less than one-third of one percent of the wholesale value of commodities at destination. And, of course, to a still smaller proportion of retail prices. Act two of the Lawrence and Lee operetta, The Emperor of San Francisco, starring Gordon MacRae as His Imperial Majesty Norton I and Dorothy Warren Scholl as the Countess Esther Hussey. And now, let's take a box seat at the San Francisco Opera House and listen to her thrilling voice. Call, Countess. Mr. Briggs, I am furious. But, Countess.
Countess. Everything on the stage went perfectly. I am displeased about something in the audience. Another curtain call, Countess. Oh. Oh. My dear friends, my dear friends, I thank you for your applause. Did you know that tonight's opera was a command performance? Yes, although you would never guess it. For our manager, Mr. Briggs, gave the Emperor Norton the worst seat in the last balcony. Henceforth, a royal box shall be reserved for our beloved monarch. <laughs> Countess Esterhazy, everyone in San Francisco knows that Norton is a fraud, a comic lunatic. A poor, deluded man with a generous nature and a great heart. And certain opera managers could learn a great deal about gentleness from Norton the First. Good night. Curtis! Your Majesty. Yes? I, I come to ask your royal advice. It shall be freely given. Uh, please, dear Countess... You must forgive the appearance of my royal palace, but I have seen so many of my subjects in need of food and shelter that I've turned my palace into the Eureka boarding house. How generous of your majesty. Now, what is the advice which you seek from me? Oh, your majesty, I am in love. Oh? Well, but the person whom I love does not fully realize that I love him. Oh. Uh, he is a patron of the arts. Yes. Extremely handsome. Really, really, dear Countess. Now, only one thing worries me. Yes? He doesn't like you. He... <laughs> well, who is this gentleman who enjoys the favor of your affection? Uh, Peter Briggs, the, the director of the opera. Oh, yes, yes, Mr. Briggs. After the seat he gave me at the opening of the opera, I had planned to sentence him to ten years in my imperial penitentiary at San Quentin. Oh, no. But I, I shall commute the sentence if you are truly in love with him. Well, I, I'm accustomed to European noblemen, gentle and, and dignified in manner. But Mr. Briggs is so quick to anger. Well, he came by his fortune in the gold fields, and there's little of manners in mining, dear Countess. I know. Mm -hmm. The life they lead, the songs they sing in the Sierras, it's a far cry from the capitals of Europe. How can you imagine this song echoing in the courts of the Habsburgs or... Or the Hohenzollerns. In a canyon, in a cavern, excavating for a mine, dwells a miner, forty miner, and his daughter Clementine. Oh, my darling, oh, my darling, oh, my darling Clementine, thou art gone but not forgotten. Oh, my darling Clementine. Verse to that, Your Majesty. Well, sing it, sing it. Drove she ducklings to the water every morning just at nine. Hit her foot against the splinter, fell into the foaming brine. That's it. Oh, my darling, oh, my darling, oh, my darling Clementine. Thou art gone, but not forgotten. Oh, my darling Clementine. <laughs> Good evening. Mr. Briggs, I... I come to apologize, sire. Oh? For, for the ill treatment which you received at the opera house. Hereafter, you will be accorded the dignity and honor due to the Emperor of the United States. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Briggs. 
And henceforth, I shall count you one of my devoted subjects. Lazarus? Lazarus? Now, where is that dog of mine? Lazarus! Your Majesty. Hey? Emperor Norton, how are you, my old friend? Why, why, my dear Countess. Why, have you forgotten? I am Mrs. Briggs now. Yes, yes. Time plays odd tricks on the mind. Did I hear you calling for Lazarus? Yes. Have you seen that dog of mine? He's wandered off. Why, Lazarus is dead, Your Majesty. Dead? Don't you remember? He passed away many years ago. Oh, of course, of course. It slipped my mind, I guess. Poor Lazarus. Are you taking care of yourself, Emperor? Hmm? I'm very, very fit. You know, my husband and I both owe you a great deal. Oh? How is that? Well, it was you who taught Peter humility. From you, he learned that there is a great difference between a gentleman and a, a gentle man. Ah. ah, yes, I remember. I remember. Tell me, Your Majesty... In all these years, have you never been in love? In love? Oh, never. <laughs> never in and love. Not once. Not even a little bit, Your Majesty. Perhaps. Uh, a little. I... Um, uh, Your Majesty, help! Someone help me! You've been too good to me, Countess. I, I should not have troubled you with my dying. Oh, you must not say that, Your Majesty. I feel the strangest doubt in my mind. Is it possible that, that I am not really the Emperor of the United States? Oh, you are an Emperor, and a great one. Or has it been a, a wild and foolish dream? Tell me. You would know... You're a real countess. No, Your Majesty. I was was never the Countess Esterhazy. What? I, I made it up. A convenient fiction, a, a handy lie to advance my career. I, I refuse to believe it. It is true. Well, then, then I shall issue a decree making you a countess. No, no, a princess... An empress. Oh, please, lie back. Sing for me. Would you sing for me? Because you command it, Your Majesty. Tis an
the moon disappears in the skies, then I'll have tears, I'll have tears in my eyes. What memories this music brings, softly it rings, softly it clings to my heart. Oh, memories sweet, memories cling to my heart. to thank Lamont Johnson, Jerry Hausner, and Marvin Miller, who were in tonight's cast, and also our musical arranging staff for these summer railroad hours. Warren Barker, Will Bytel, Carl Brandt, and Johnny Capers. The Emperor of San Francisco was written for us by Lawrence and Lee. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroads. Because almost everything we use in our daily lives must be transported hundreds or even thousands of miles... It's important to know that the cost for moving these things by railroad has been, and continues to be, only a small fraction of the selling price. While the prices of most things have been moving steadily upward in an inflationary spiral, railroad freight rates have lagged far behind. Why, today, for instance, the average ton of freight has moved one mile by railroad for less than a cent and a half. And all along the line, Freight rate increases have had such a small effect on costs that they are only a small fraction of the prices you pay for most things. Well, summer's over, Gordon. It sure is, Dorothy, and it's time to clear the tracks for our fall show train. Well, it's been such great fun for me, Gordon, being with you this whole summer and presenting the premieres of 13 new musicals. Well, one of the best parts was having you aboard, Dorothy. Oh, thank you. Tell me, uh, how are you starting the fall season? With Rodgers and Hammerstein's great musical success... State Fair. And Dorothy Kirsten will be our guest. Oh, wonderful. We'll all be listening. Good night, Gordon. Good night, Dorothy. And we're looking forward to the next time you're aboard our show train. All aboard. Well, sir, it looks as though we're ready to pull out. And so on for next week when we present Dorothy Kirsten in State Fair, this is Gordon McRae saying good night. <laughs> Gordon McRae can be seen in Warner Brothers on Moonlight Bay. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff. And our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the American Railroads. Now stay tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC. The preceding program was transcribed. Yasha Heifetz joins the telephone hour tonight on NBC.